great and awesome Father, we, we come before you, and God, we hear you singing to us. We heard your voice that woke us up this morning. We hear your voice as we made our way here today. Father, we hear you singing to us when the skies are clear and when the skies are gray and there's rain, there's, there's thunder, there's lightning. God, we hear you singing to us in the midst of the storm. Father, no matter what we're going through, we can hear you singing. And we pray that those times where all the noise is trying to drown out your voice, Father, we pray that you'll sing loudly to us. We pray that you'll sing to our hearts and to our souls, and we pray that we can respond in kind. And God, I pray that as we get into your word today, Father, as we learn how to be true worshipers, I pray, Father, that you will help us to, to cling to the scriptures, to... Uh, Write them on the tablets of our hearts. And Father, we pray that we can have our spirit and our will in line with yours. And that you will help us going forward to be true worshipers. We love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your precious son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I love that song. I don't know about you guys. I love the, I love the idea of God singing to me. You know, last Sunday, our brother Stephen Oguaya, you guys remember Stephen, right? Uh, Stephen kicked off our new series, focused on the discipline of worship. This month, we're focusing on the discipline of worship, which, by the way, as of July 7th, Stephen and his wife, Hannah, will be joining the Harlem staff. Amen. They will be joining the Harlem staff to work with our, our youth and family ministry. They will wor work alongside the awesome Stanislaus and also the McCullers. And, you know, what we're doing, what we're trying to do as a church is to really build a, a strong family ministry where we help families from cradle to campus. We help kids from the cradle to campus. So pray for us because this is... We're pioneering, we're blazing new trails here. And, uh, you know, like I said, we have a wonderful team here. Uh, uh, Diamond and Dylan is doing a fantastic job with our teams. And they're going to continue to do so. You know, they really rallied and got the parents together and did a fantastic job with our kids. Um, you know, my daughter loves Diamond, and I'm grateful to have somebody uh, in her life like that. And then the McCullers, I mean, how many hats can they wear? But we thought, man, we need a couple in there that's going to really help us uh, champion this cause and it's going to really, uh, you know, pull the families together. And, and, and who's spiritual? And, uh, you know, I hear about people talking to Bob all the time. You know, bro, Bob helped me with this. And, yo, Bob helped me with this. I'm like, who's Bob talking to? I mean, but that's just who they are, Monique as well. And so we thought they would be the best couple to really help us. And so uh, the Aguirre's coming in. They're just a missing piece. Uh, they're the full-time piece, and he's going to help me do a lot more than just youth and family. I'm going to tell you that right now. So I told him, I said, bro, strap in, buckle in. Harlem is a wonderful ministry, but we are going to put you to work. Amen? Uh, you know, last week he talked about worship involving sacrifice. He talked about what we gain compared to what we sacrifice for God and how it's worth it, that it's worth Everything we have, it's like the merchant who came across this great treasure and sold 
he had because comparatively speaking, it was worth it. Uh, he talked about Romans 12, verse 1. He speaks, uh, speaks about us being a living sacrifice, which means that, you know, when you're a living sacrifice, that means that it's a daily thing. It's a part of your life. It's your lifestyle. And, you know, when I think about this, $51,511 has been collected today. Give yourselves a round of applause. Amen. God is awesome. And you guys are awesome. So let's keep, let's keep, uh, let's keep praying about this. You know, guys, we, we're knocking on the door, a door of 90,000. We, 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 we've gotten close in a few years. I believe God can help us take it over. So every dollar we contribute, everything we give, as you see already, you know, I, I think it was amazing. Our sister got up here and said she was the first conversion in DR. And her sister was the second. All that because people like you who would never probably get to visit, some of you may never get to visit DR, but because you gave and you sacrificed, someone became a Christian and expanded in her family, and now there's a thriving church in the Dominican Republic because of the sacrifices that we make. So let's keep praying about this, amen? You know, Romans 12, 1 talks about us being a living sacrifice, both corporately and individually. Uh, you know, I love this quote by A.W. Tozer, who says that a local church exists to do corporately what each Christian believer should be doing individually, and that is worship God. So worship is not only what we do when we come together on Sunday, but it's an individual thing. So if every individual comes ready to worship God, that's what makes our corporate worship awesome. And if each individual doesn't come focused on God, then that affects the corporate worship as well. Amen? Now let me ask you a question. How would you describe worship? How would you describe worship? Now, I think most people, when they think of worship, they think of singing. They think of, of dancing, you know, praise worship. They think of clapping. And they think of instrumentation. You know, I remember when I first came to this church some, you know, 20-something years ago, the first thing I noticed that there were no instruments. And I grew up in a church where there was an organist. Matter of fact, my uncle was the organist. He was the music minister. And little old James Warren was part of the choir, and I'm standing up there singing because nobody else would sing. So I'm the only guy, you know, that would, that would sing. And we had, you know, we had a choir, we had an organist, we had sister so-and-so in the front tearing up the tambourine. And so, and we even had some washboard. How, how, how far back did that go? Act like y'all don't know. Somebody had a washboard and a little bent-up hanger, and they was, and they was making a joyful noise unto the Lord. So when I came to the New York City Church of Christ, the first thing I was looking for was the organ. And sister so-and-so with the tambourine. And brother so-and-so with the washboard. But I saw none of that. And it challenged, that was the first time my worship, my understanding of worship was challenged. Because up, up until that point, I thought worship, if you don't have an organist, if you don't have instruments, then how can you properly worship God. And so, I think
think some of us would even go as far as to say that if there's none of those things present, then we're not truly worshiping God. Because we like to feel like we're worshiping God. We like to feel it. And you know, that is a part of worship. All those things are part of worship. But they're not the only thing that makes up our worship. Amen? Yeah, I love this story about this little boy after attending church one Sunday morning. He knelt by his bedside that night and prayed, Dear God, we had a great time at church today, but I wish you had been there. Have you ever felt like, man, I just went to church. Why do I feel like something's still missing? This little boy came to church and wished God had been there. I think there are aspects of worship we are missing that we need to internalize and really check our hearts to make sure that we are really true worshipers of God. Amen? Now there are a number of elements of worship, but the true worship that Jesus speaks of in John chapter 4, verse 23, John chapter 4, verse 23, help me out there guys, there we go. But the time is coming indeed, it's here, now that, now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Does it say anything about clapping there? Does it say anything about singing? Same thing about instruments. If God was looking for those things, Jesus would make that known to those who are following him, right? Now again, those things help our worship. But even if those things are not present, you can still worship God in spirit and in truth. We have to have this conviction. Because otherwise, we'll look more for the outward signs of worship and miss the most important part of worship, which is spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Now, what God is desiring of his worshipers is that we're in tune with God, that we're connected to God. Because otherwise, how can you truly worship God if you're not connected to God? Otherwise, it is just making a joyful noise. But there's no connection. And God seeks to be connected to us. God wants to be in tune with us. And that's what I was missing 20-something years ago when I walked through the doors and I heard people singing. And what was amazing about that was to me, I thought, wow, the whole church is the choir. And there's something different about the way these people are singing because it's not about a show because there's no one else to impress here. There's no music to add to their voices. So this has got to be coming from a genuine place. And I was blown away. And I thought, wow, there's something I'm missing about worship. And I'm so grateful that God has taught me what that is through the scriptures. You know, when, 
when we're talking about worshiping and being true worshipers, we're connected by the Spirit, by the living truth of God's Word. We're connected to God. That's how you become a true worshiper. You have to be connected to God. Otherwise, you can be worshiping something totally different. Some people worship their church building. They talk about it. They, they brag about it. We have a great choir. Some people worship the choir. Because these are the things that they're there for. The reasons there. Some people worship their preacher. My preacher can preach the word. He stirs your soul. He even made Satan sit down and study the Bible once. I mean, you know, people go out of their way to big up their preacher, worship their preacher, but at the point, but, but God is like, wait a second, hold up. Where do I fit into all this? These are all temporary things. I'm the eternal God. You worship will outlast and outlive man. You know, the New Testament word for worship, guess what it means? It means to kiss the hand. It means to bow low and kiss the hand of. So, when you see examples like someone meets the Pope, they kiss his hand because they're worshiping him. That's their, so it's, it's a, it's an attitude, it's a posture, it's a position you put yourself in because you're elevating someone to a position. In the Roman, in the, the Roman era, they would kneel before Caesar and kiss his hand because Caesar was compared to be godlike. You tell me who deserves their hand kissed more than God. When we worship, it's not just the singing. It's not just the clapping. It's not just the music. It's coming before God, humbling ourselves, taking God's hand, kissing his hand, and giving him the glory he deserves. That is what worship means. To worship God in truth, Jesus is saying, worship God in a true way. That means you're not living one way, and then when it comes time to worship God corporately, you're living another way. Now, Jesus says, be truthful about your worship, because you are a living sacrifice. Not only with your presence, but with your heart. Some people mistake it, showing up for church is worship. You are worshiping God on your way here, and on your way home. Because it's all about being connected with God. You know, one way we see God's people worshiping in spirit and truth is how they give. That's one of the elements. That's how you know, that's how God knows if he has your heart or not. And this is always a touchy subject because nobody likes to talk about money. Especially when you're talking about giving it away. All sorts of emotions come up. All sorts of excuses come up. All sorts of reasons come up. Well, I was burned in the past by this one preacher, and I did this, and I did this, and this happened to me, and this happened. But you know what? It doesn't stop you from spending your money any other way. But 
when it comes to God, some of our hearts withdraw because you're not truly worshiping God with your giving. See, when you worship God with your giving, you trust that God is going to take care of that. And he's going to take care of you. You know, the church, the church in the New Testament, they gave because first they were giving to God. They, they were connect, connected with God. They were in step and in tune with God's plan and God's will. So they understood why they were giving to God. Why God asked. You know, way back in the, New, in the Old Testament, God commanded the, uh, the Israelites to give a tithe. That was a part of their worship. It was a part of their lifestyle. It was a part of their traditions. It was a part of their, their rituals. They gave offerings. So when we enter into the New Testament and you bring in us Gentiles, God switched it up. Because some people were able to give a tenth and it not even bother them. They were able to give a tenth of what they had because they were so wealthy, they didn't miss that. That was pocket change. And so God saw that man's heart was drifting away from him. And so God changed it and said, no, now I need your heart to be attached to this. I had to get you in the habit of giving, but now I need you to connect this with your heart. Because some of us can give to God and write a check and not even blink. Now, I know you may be like, but that ain't me. <laughs> I write that check, bro. I feel it every time. That may be you. You may have had a hard time just a few minutes ago. Special contribution. I got some special contributions too. Rent, vacation. Y'all want me to go to Orlando next year for 2020? Where, where y'all think that money gonna come from? They also took care as the, as the gospel. 
gospel spread and needs arose in another church, then they would give to those churches. It got to the point where Jerusalem itself needed help. And they were taking up a special collection for the church in Jerusalem. But it started with the church in Jerusalem. And so you never know when you're going to be in need. And when you're going to need be in a position where you need to be given to. A weekly collection was instituted in the first century church. It was, called, it was there to provide for the needs of the saints. You know, sometimes you had wealthy saints and then you had saints who were poor. But they gave to make sure that, that, each, that each other was taken care of. That was God's plan, was to take care because the government was not doing that. The Roman government did not care if Christians were suffering. So God's plan was, well, let's take care of each other. Uh, the principles that were taught to determine how much you should give. God didn't want anyone giving beyond their means. He set limits on that. He said, look, give within your means. Don't go broke trying to help somebody else. But give something because it is still part of our worship. And in 1 Corinthians 16, you know, as we prosper, we're supposed to give more to God because that's our, us showing God that we're thankful for you giving more to me. It's not just so that we can fatten up our bank account, but God is like, if I'm giving you more, it's for a reason. It's because I know you'll do the right thing with it. Now, not everyone does. Next slide, please. You know, whatever was given was given with a willing mind. They were willing to give. They gave according to what one had. Uh... They gave as, you know, as they decided in their heart to give. God expected them to make a decision of what they want to give and then follow through on that. So it wasn't just a faith offering per se. It was like, yeah, you need to think about what you're going to give and what you can afford to give consistently. And so there was thought given to this. Uh, whatever one gave, they gave cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion. They didn't have Paul and the other apostles standing over them with a cane in their hand like, uh, bro, you know you can put more in that plate. That's not how it worked. They put the need out to the church. They trusted that they were connected to God, that they would appreciate all that God has done for them, and then the church responded. And that's exactly what they did. Um, they kept in mind the principle of sowing and reaping. You get back what you put in. Doesn't that make sense? You put in a little, you get a little. You put in a lot, you get back a lot. You know, I think sometimes we hesitate to talk about God rewarding our giving because we're afraid of sounding like the prosperity gospel. Look, God gives to those who give, and he gives to those who can't give. Because God is not a type of God who's like, you know, just give me all that you have and, and do this, and he's not going to reward you. Jesus said there's going to be treasures in heaven. You give up these treasures on earth, which moss and rust can destroy. You know, I was looking at my car the other day. I'm driving my car, and I'm thinking, man, you know, it's a pain to own a car. I know there are times where I'm grateful, but I'm like, this thing is guzzling gas. I'm starting to see rust, birds, poop, all. I mean, birds just don't respect your, your vehicle at all. People drive crazy, knocking off your mirror. Don't put a note on your, on your mirror to say, hey, I'm sorry, I knocked your mirror, here's 20 bucks. Well, I need something. 
shopping. People get out their car, they take the shopping cart and put it right by your car. I'm like, you're stressful owning the car. So I totally understand what Jesus said. Don't get so connected to these things. Don't get so connected. Because they're not going to last. I mean, how excited were you to get your first flat screen TV? You know, it just got bigger and bigger. And then it got thinner and thinner. And then the quality, oh, 4K, Ultra HD. Oh, I got to get that. I mean, we walking by the living room hoping our old TV would blow out so we could go out and have a reason to get another one. Bumping into the table, hoping in a tempo, oh, got to go get another one. My TV is not even five years old, and they already have a QLED 8K. So they didn't go four to five K. They doubled it, which means that the viewing pleasure is gonna be fantastic. It's just gonna keep going and going and going and going. It's never gonna end, and God knows that. That's why He's like, don't let your heart get so attached to the things in this world. You were excited to get that iPhone 10. Before you realize, man, they got another version coming out in a week. I mean, you can't even you can't even enjoy the phone for a year before they come out with another version. I mean, it's ridiculous. Now they're bringing out the iPad, iPod again. I'm like, it's like just before you can get the. You know, the funds that were collected and used to help needy Christians, including those who devoted their lives to spreading the gospel. You know, I'm humbled every time I look at my account and I realize that my family is supported by your giving. That we're one of the, that's humbling for me. It's very humbling. I'm like, man, God, you know, I, I wish there was another way I could do this. I don't, but this is God's plan. And I do believe that is a great plan because it does keep us humble. I'm like, I'm terrified to cheat on, cheat God out of, I'm like, what? I don't want to have anything to do with the country. I'm like, no, no, y'all keep that thing over there. I mean, God is, God is amazing how he takes care of us. And the fact that, that my family gets supported by your giving and, and we, it's a give and take. I mean, that's humbling. That's humbling. But it's part of God's plan. And again, next slide, please. You know, unfortunately, there's some who didn't get that. There's some people who did not get what it meant to worship God in spirit and truth. And we have some examples that I like to look at. Let's look at an Old Testament example of Eli. Eli was a priest. And like myself, the priests were supported by the congregation. That was their full-time job. They were devoted. That's how God designed it, that the priests would, would take part of, of the offering. When the people gave an offering, part of that would go to the priest and, and, and his family. They were not to hold any other side jobs and all that stuff. That's how God kept things in check. But Eli's sons did not respect God and did not respect 
God's worshiping God through their giving. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, it says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Verse 17, the sin of the young man, young man was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. You go to the next slide. In verses 27 to 36, now a man of God, which is the prophet, came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering and, and I prescribe, that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people in Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will, be not, there will not be an old man in your family line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off, for my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart. And all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead. Appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Do you think God takes this seriously? It didn't go well for Eli's sons because they did not worship God in truth. They disrespected God by misusing the people's offering. That was their only purpose was to be a mediator for, for between God and man. And these guys disrespected. You go and read the story. They disrespected God's offering. And God takes this stuff seriously. You know, I know sometimes we worry, well, we want, you know, I want to make sure things are being handled. Let me tell you right now, if things are not being handled, God will deal with whoever's mishandling his money. You don't have to worry about that. God will protect our giving. He won't tolerate misuse. Let's look at a New Testament example over in Acts chapter 4. Happened in the New Testament. You guys know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? Acts 4.32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Now, that doesn't mean you can just show up at my house and watch my TV. That just means... But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. That's awesome, right? 
From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and, your, you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Uh, yeah. (laughs) You know, the church is in its infancy. The young church. And God had to make a very clear statement. You are to worship me in spirit and in truth. Ananias and Sapphira were deceitful in their giving. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm looking at this story and I'm just imagining, okay, Barnabas went and he sold his property and he gave, maybe they were like, you know what? He got a little encouragement for that. Maybe why don't we do that? But oh, we're not going to give all that money. You know, we'll sell and then we'll give, you know, We'll give some of it. We're not going to give all our money. It was theirs to give. Just like the money you have is yours to give. And when you decide before God to give, that's between you and God. It's between you and God. And that's the point that God is making here. Is that it's about us. It's about you and it's about me. What you give has nothing to do with everybody else. It's between us. It's between us. You know, this married couple insisted on worshiping in dishonesty. They vowed to give an amount to God, but instead they kept it for themselves. They pretended to give all the money they vowed just to look good. Now, this is, hip- this is hypocrisy at its finest. And it was their deceit that killed them. Now, I like this quote by George MacDonald. It says, half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. You know, when we try to act 
like something we're not, we're miserable. You're not happy. You're not happy. So don't try to act like you're truly worship. Be it. Become a worshiper. Become a true worshiper of God. It doesn't take a whole lot. God understands your situation. God knows where you're at. God allowed you to be in that position. Who knows what blessing is right around the corner for you? Sometimes I believe God tests us when we have nothing to see just what we would do before he would give us that blessing. Because he knows some of us. He gives us a big blessing. Or he gives us that raise we've been wanting. We might, he might not see us again. And so God wants to know, will you give honestly? Because this is between us. This is between us. Now let's look at some scriptures of true worshipers. Can we get some positive examples here? There's some people who got it. David is one of those guys who got it. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 9. Just before, you know, David had this dream, this vision of building a great temple before God. He wanted to create, he wanted to build something where God's presence, where the Ark of the Covenant could reside. And God, I mean, this was supposed to be where people come and they, they knew that God was in this place. And so he had this great vision. And this is what... David did. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly to who? To David? No, it says to the Lord. David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God our Father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. David was in touch. He knew who was in charge. It wasn't his kingdom. It was God's kingdom. And he lifted God up to God's rightful place as the king, as the rightful king. And verse 12, wealth and honor comes from you. Not from my hard work, not from my education, not from my talent, but from God. If God wants you to be blessed, you'll be blessed. Simple as that. Everything we have comes from God. Verse 14, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Do you see your possessions that way? This is God's. My time is God's. My health is God's. My talents are God's. My education belongs to God. It's come from the hand of God. My money Look down at verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest, with honest intent. You know, David was not like Eli and his sons. David had a heart of integrity. 
He was honest. He wanted to make sure that God was in his rightful, rightful position. God, he was humble before God. And this is what true worship looks like. Lifting God up, giving God what belongs to him. Special contribution, guys, it's a very practical way for us to make a difference. It's a very practical way. The people were rejoicing as they gave to help build God's temple. You know, when we give, we're building up God's kingdom. And we should give joyfully. Because everyone there wanted to make a difference. Everyone wanted to contribute to God's dream. And David led the way in this. He set the example. So my question to us is, how about you? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to make a difference with your life? At the end of the day, do you want to stand back and look at your God's kingdom and say, man, I, I helped build that. I helped build that. I helped contribute to that. You know, when I think about our sister and, and, and who was baptized, the first convert in, in DR, and her sister, the second convert in DR, I'm like, man, we helped, we helped make that happen. And that's all right to rejoice because you took part. You made a difference. And that church there has grown and existed because of our sacrifice. The church in Haiti depends on those of us who want to make a difference. The churches in West, in, in West Africa, French speaking at West Africa, they're counting on us to make a difference. Right here locally, right here in Harlem, people are counting on us wanting and willing to make a difference, willing to sacrifice. And help more true, true worshipers come, come to God. Our last example we'll get from 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. You know, the Macedonian church, which I like to call the Harlem church. It says in verse 1, now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You know, most inner city people don't have a lot. And when they, when they do get, they go. When we get a little bump, most people want to leave. You guys have stayed. You guys have stayed because you want to help see God's dream come to fruition here in Harlem. And God is not going to forget that. God will bless that. God will reward that. Since out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, wealth up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to who? to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will you know you can keep reading I mean it, it's amazing this church they didn't let their circumstances keep them from giving to God because they were in tune with God they were in step with God in verse 11 it says now finish the work so that your eager willingness they were eagerly and willingly giving despite this circumstance. And you know what that did? Paul used them as a model to the church in Corinth. 
You know, that's my vision for the Harlem church is that we'll be a model to the rest of the church. That one little inner city ministry can model what it means to give despite our circumstances, despite our extreme situations, that we can still be eager and willing to give to God's dream. You know, it's almost like watching someone sing a song with all their heart and soul. You can't help but be stirred. You can't help but to be inspired. And it makes you want to get up and just wave your hand and sing along, although you're breaking up all the notes. But you get up anyway because they're stirring you. That's what this church was doing. It was stirring the rest of the churches to give. It was taking away the excuses. Paul said they were eager to give poverty. They were coming up to Paul. When can we give? Can we, can we take part in that? I want to make a difference. And Paul was like, absolutely. And then Paul encouraged the church in Corinth. Hey, your brothers and sisters over in Macedonia, they are paving the way. I, I just want you guys to know. I'm, I'm not, it's not a competition. I just want you to know hey, Harlem is paving the way. Harlem is making a difference. Why not us? Is what I want to ask. Why not us? Why can't we be a model to the rest of the church? You don't have to own anything to give God all your heart. All you got to do is give God all your heart. That's more than anything God could possibly give in exchange. You know, God, God's people worship in truth. They gave willingly to do so. And extreme poverty did not hold his church back. I think sometimes we can let our circumstances cloud our vision and our picture of God. We can put God in this little box next to our checkbooks. God is much bigger than that. God is much bigger than any trouble, any situation that comes your way. And God has helped us already through so much, through so much. God will never leave us or forsake us. So I want to encourage us today. Give all your heart. Keep giving all your heart. We have some incredible givers here already. And just as Paul encouraged the church to excel in other gifts, he said also excel in your gift of giving. And I want to encourage and I want to challenge those of us who can to do so. And for those of us who are in a position where, bro, I don't know, I I just, look, God, at the end of the day, God wants your heart more than anything else. But he knows that our hearts are often attached to our finances. So your finances just come along for the ride. But ultimately, that's what God wants. He wants to know that you're going to worship him in spirit and in truth no matter what comes your way. God is worthy of our best, humble and great eagerness and willingness. So let's lead, let's worship God in spirit and truth. Let's make sure that when we give to God, whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, whatever we do, that we're giving God our absolute best because he deserves nothing less. In God's name be the glory.